You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide on five ways to better serve students with exceptional learning needs. It can be hard to try to best serve your students with exceptional needs in the music classroom, but it doesn't have to be. There are some simple steps that you can take to help your students while also taking some of the stress off of your shoulders. In this free PDF guide, I'll share five of my top tips for better serving those students that might have exceptional learning needs in your classroom. To claim your free PDF copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners. I know we started out last season with a conversation with Kate Shannon, who's a board-certified music therapist, and we talked about the differences and similarities and the overlap between music education and music therapy. This was such a great conversation and something that I find so important, and I think that so could be really helpful for other music teachers, that I couldn't resist by having another music therapist come on the podcast for the opening of season two. Um, so I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with Lauren Worsenkowski all about music therapy and music education and how they overlap. If Lauren's name sounds familiar, it's because Lauren is a blog contributor on thatmusicteacher.com. So you might have seen some of her posts about exceptional learners on our blog. But if you didn't know, Lauren is a Pennsylvania kindergarten through 12th grade certified music teacher and a board certified music therapist. She also has Pennsylvania certifications in special education and elementary education. Lauren lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is in the greater Philadelphia area. Lauren is currently serving as a special education teacher in Bucks County. Previously, she was a music teacher for an educational agency, which serviced students with special needs in alternative settings. She taught students of all abilities, including grades kindergarten through 12th grade and older. Lauren loves teaching and is passionate about advocating for all students, especially those who struggle advocating for themselves. Lauren is a wife, a mother to a baby boy, and a proud wife to an incredible husband who is a special education teacher himself. She has two wonderful parents and two amazing sisters and a brother. Lauren's brother and uncle lived with her while growing up, and both have diagnoses of intellectual disabilities and autism. Growing up with them has given her a unique insight to the challenges that families with children who have disabilities face. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lauren Morsenkowski all about the intersections of music therapy and music education. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am so excited for this conversation today. I have Lauren Morsenkowski, who's going to be talking about the intersections of music therapy and music education, which we've had before on the podcast. But what I love about Lauren's story and Lauren's journey is that she is not only a board-certified music therapist, but she's also a music educator. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. That was such a nice introduction. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is my first podcast ever <laughs> to be All on. Right. Welcome. Thank you. So, Lauren, will you take some time and tell us a little bit about yourself? So from my background, um, my intersection between music therapy, music education, and, and special education, it kind of started young. I'm the oldest of um, four, so there's four of the kids in my family. Um, I'm the oldest. And I have two sisters and a brother, and my brother has autism. Um, he is what, you know, 
we would consider a low incidence population, meaning that um, his disability is an, a disability that doesn't occur often because he has autism, but he's also intellectually disabled. So out of like the entire population of the world, you know, there's so many people who are diagnosed with autism and then there's so many people who are diagnosed with autism and intellectual disabilities. And um, he's on the lower like incidence end, meaning like there's not as many individuals that are um, have his diagnosis. So um Growing up with him, I found early on he responded so well to music. I remember being, you know, five years old and singing songs to him. And that's when he would look at me in the eye and and giggle, um, which didn't happen often. So I think my love for music and my love for special ed started from there. And it kind of just grew out of that. I went to Temple University in Philadelphia for music therapy. Um, And as soon as I graduated, I knew that I wanted to work with the special education population or in schools. And where I'm located in the Philadelphia area in Bucks County, um, I don't really, there's not a lot of school districts in here that employ, um, there's not a lot of school districts in the area that employ music therapists specifically. Um, Some private schools do. I don't, I'm not sure, Bryson, if that's how it is in your area, but um, yeah, it's the same. Yeah. And, and some areas are different and some places in the world are, are different than other places. So, um, and that's wonderful. And I, I hope that they start to employ more music therapists as related services in school districts. But I went back and got my master's in education because I just knew I wanted to work in schools and I knew that there would be a place for me to use my music therapy and my, my, my education background and, and kind of combine them to um, work for me and, and to do what I wanted to do. So other than teaching music therapy, what's something that brings you joy and what's something you're super passionate about? A lot of things. Um, I think those are my two biggest um, passions in in life. Um, before I had my son, I had uh, my son, his name's John Carl, but we call him JC or, or Jace. Um, I had him in May, but before him, I, I loved, um, you know, exercising, hanging out with family, reading but now I think he's my biggest source of joy. So just spending time Aww. with him. Yeah. And it's really cool to see him grow because um, he looks so much like my husband when he was born. But now he's kind of looking more a little bit like me. And oh, that's so exciting. It is. <laughs> and I also just for some reason, when I found out he was a boy, I thought like my husband's very athletic. I thought he'd take right after him. And when I play the piano at home, he like lights up and he wants to sit on my lap. And it's kind of exciting to see that he might have some of my um, musical like, you know, affinity or affinity for music or talent, you know, so that would be really cool. So that's definitely my biggest joy right now. How exciting. So Lauren, for those that don't know, what is music therapy and why is it important? So music therapy is a a clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish um, goals, so individual goals um, within a therapeutic relationship. So between the therapist and the client, um, and it has to be done by an accredited music therapist, so someone who's board certified. So MTBC stands for Music Therapist Board Certified. And I really kind of, I looked that up specifically because I really didn't want to butcher that definition. Um, I had it kind of in my notes for this um, podcast. I, I, It's really important to me to get that right because I think there's so many misconceptions about music therapy. People think that music therapy could be, you know, just any musician singing to maybe a client that has Alzheimer's or maybe a parent who's letting their child listen to music on their iPad and they calm down a child that maybe have, um, maybe has some disabilities and, you know, uh, gets worked up and has, um, 
difficulties without music being played. So, so maybe people think that's music therapy or, or my favorite is hearing musical therapy <laughs> instead of music therapy. Um, but they're all really a little different. And what I just mentioned before, like singing to a patient with Alzheimer's um, and a parent letting their child be soothed by music, those are all like wonderful, very like things that you should be applauded for to do with with um, music. And I say the more music, the better. Um, any way you can mu- use music is wonderful. However, um, music therapy is like the systematic and like approach to using music in a very like evidence-based way with clients. So it's a little bit different than, you know, just singing to clients and making them feel good, which I said is great and has its purpose, but it's different than music therapy. So I think there's that little misconception there. So I think it's important to know about music therapy, that it's an evidence-based and credential. There's tons and tons of research um, to back up music therapy, and it's really a science-based approach, just like any related service, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy. That's one thing that I've really learned over the last few years. So in episode five of the podcast, I we talked with Kay Shannon, and she's um, a board-certified musical music therapist. And she talked about, she kind of made the, the comparison of, you know, music education is like physical education, while musical music therapy is like physical therapy. And that really made, um, made it make a little bit more sense to me. You know, it's still, it's using the same mode of, of instruction or mode of therapy, but it's not the same skills it's not the same concept and again like you said it's very evidence-based it's very systematic um, and that's really where that line is between music education and music therapy exactly i love that comparison as well um and it's perfect um you know like with with gym and, and physical therapy and and there's a lot of overlap there too right um so as we you know discuss a little more there is overlap between music therapy and music education and, and a good overlap that hopefully we can use to our benefit as educators Exactly. And I know that you talked a little bit about, you know, the why behind why you became a music therapist, but can you talk about the process of actually becoming board certified and doing an internship? How is that process similar or different from, you know, doing a student teaching placement? So to become um, a a board certified music therapist, you will have to go to uh, an accredited school. So wherever they have a program that's a music therapy program that will end in you having uh, an internship and you being able to test to get your board certification in music therapy. Um, A lot of music schools around the country have these now. Not every music school does, but it's kind of a traditional music um, route where I went to, to Temple University, it, I ended up getting a bachelor's of music. So that's my degree. And then like my, my specialty was music therapy. That was my certification. Um, but the, the first two years are very similar to other music, um, degrees and other focuses. So like even performance or education, you have the music, um, theory classes, um, you do conducting as well, like, like a music educator would, um, you don't necessarily take all the methods courses that music educators do as in like the strings and brass instruments, things like that. Um, but you end up taking methods courses in, um, what they call medical, um, methods class, like music therapy in a medical setting. Um, psychiatric, so music therapy in a psychiatric setting, and then an educational methods class. So those are some of the more um, focused music therapy courses that you get into, like as you go further along in your degree. Um, and this is just my experience from undergrad. So I know maybe every 
every program's a little bit different, but you have these different methods courses where they teach you, you know, different evidence-based methods and what you should use with different populations because music therapists, um, they can work with, they can work with, um, you know, children in an educational setting, but they can also work with the elderly in palliative care or, um, you know, nursing homes. They can work with, um, you know, individuals in mental health hospitals and psychiatric settings as well. So we kind of get um, taught and instructed in that. And then we also have um, some ethics courses, you know, like therapy ethics. We have to take psychology courses as well. So almost like kind of like a therapist route. And then um, to end your training, you you get um, field work hours. So 200 fieldwork hours, which are kind of sprinkled through those different three domains that I said, the educational, the psychiatric, and the medical field. So you get experience in a little bit of each. And then they place you in an internship where you needed a thousand hours of um, of your clinical internship. So you would work under a board certified music therapist. And they, you know, have certain requirements for you to do um, throughout that time. And you have to pass, you know, not only like your therapy skills, but your musicianship skills. Um, and then you can take and sit for the board certification test. And that's similar to, I think, um, and I'm not sure if it's, it's, it has a different name in every state, but where I'm in Pennsylvania, we have the, um, the PECT exams and the, um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on the secondary exam, what they're called, but you know, for your education certification, it's very, it's very similar um, to that. So then, and then once you're done that, you can get your board certification. Um, However, it's, you need to up, you need to upkeep it. So that's kind of one of the reasons why music therapy's board certification um, means so much that, that MTBC, it means that you're always um, accruing more educational hours. So you're always kind of in the know within the field and you're not falling behind. It's not like a one and done thing, kind of like the same as education, those act 48 hours. They just don't call it that in music therapy. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a really cool process. So yeah. what intersections have you seen or do you see between music therapy and music education? So for um, music therapy, and music education, I think the, the biggest connector between those two is that both therapists and both educators have a goal for um, their students, their clients, whatever you call the people that you're working with. Um, usually with therapists, it's it's clients, and then usually with educators, it's students. Um, sometimes there's intersections. Um, but for the most part, I think that's our biggest goal that we have together. And if you are lucky enough as an educator to be able to work with a music therapist, they can assist you in the classroom with um, – helping students that may need, um, it may have special needs that may have disabilities and, and reaching their IEP goals in within your classroom. They can help you reach their, your educational goals for those students within your classroom. They're a huge resource for you. They can also, um, you know, be a resource for you and with, within the special ed population. So, um, you know, kind of giving you the most up-to-date current information on what are the best practices to use with these students. Um, as you and I know, Bryson, and I, I'm sure everyone listening to this, you know, least restrictive environments really important for students um, that have special needs and when they're in the music classroom. So, the best practice that music therapists would also music therapists would also be aware of would be incorporating those kids into the class as much as possible, not grouping them 
by themselves and putting them in a corner and giving them something completely different from the class, right? So um, they can be a really big asset for you in that way. Um, reaching kids um, to communicate, you know, music therapists often work hand in hand with speech therapists um, to help kids reach communication goals. So maybe even they can help that help with that in the music education setting. So I think there's a lot of overlap within like what we want our students to be able to do and those goals and, you know, being able to lead on each other to reach those goals. That's of course, if there's a music therapist you're able to work with as an educator, but even if you don't have one in your school, reaching out to music therapists to collaborate, I think would be um, really beneficial as well. That's you literally just brought me right to my next point, which is how can music therapists and music educators work collaboratively to better serve our students and clients? So music therapists can assist music educators in a lot of ways and vice versa. Um, you know, you know your students best. If, you're, if a music therapist is coming in or doesn't know your students, um, you know your students best. So you can kind of help them in that way, understanding your students. But music therapists can really help um, educators in the following ways. So either as a consultant, so say you don't have a music therapist directly in your school, you can have them consult with you. So they can assist you in designing or implementing uh, music education experiences that are appropriate for students with disabilities. So if that's not your forte, if you don't have a special ed degree, if you don't have a special ed certification, um, I think employing a music therapy as a consultant, like as a consult would be extremely beneficial. Um, They know the best practices to engage those students and to get them making music. And really with some of our lower incidence populations, like I explained before, that means that the kids that have disabilities that don't occur very often. So the kids that may have more profound disabilities, engaging them in our music class is going to look very different than our other students. And in fact, they might have adapted music classes within your program where they have their own music class. So um, you know, having the music therapist there to kind of give you the best approaches to working with those students is going to be really beneficial. Um, and then also if you're able and lucky enough to work with a music therapist within your classroom, a, a direct service as in, you know, the, they can help you in the regular music classroom or self-contained classrooms or even outside the classroom if you're um, seeing private students, like they can help you in those settings as well. So a music therapist could accompany um, students that have disabilities in your classroom to your general music class and assist them during those those classrooms. They, they have a music mind. They have a music degree as well. So they know exactly what you're trying to do, um, what goals you might be trying to reach for your students. So a music goal that you want your students to reach, your objective, whatever it has you have for that class that music therapist can sit there with those students and really work with them to try to reach that goal better that you may not be able to do because you're teaching the class and you don't have the time to sit there. And not that paraeducators aren't wonderful, but they don't have that music expertise that the music therapist would have to help those students. Um, In a self-contained classroom, again, they can work with you to coordinate or develop some best practices to work with those students. So um, in self-contained classes, you might not be, you know, wanting, all right, these kids, I want them all to learn ta and titi by the end of the class. Maybe that's not a goal for your self-contained class. Maybe you're just looking for them to have a musical experience. That's where the music therapist will come in and really help you to reach um, those goals for that student, those students. Um, And then kind of just my own take on it, I think music therapists can help with stu- help you um, better understand your students and, and what appropriate goals would be for them. So I think sometimes we get caught up as music educators and 
oh, I want all these kids to to be able to meet this um, benchmark by this time in the year, or they want I want them to be able to do this by the end of the year and play these instruments or know these concepts. But with students with disabilities, even our students that have higher incidence disabilities, like learning support students or, or students that are on the spectrum, but maybe are verbal and able to communicate with us, but they just can't meet the same they can't meet the same goals as their peers. We have to individualize it, right? Because that's what special education is all about. The therapist might be able to ground you and say, hey, I know you have this goal for the, your students, but but why don't we just focus on this individual student? They're, they're their own person. Let's make our own goal for them. Like, do we want them to be able to, you know, um, identify some of these rhythm, like ta, tt, or do you want them to be able to... Um, understand what an ostinato is? Or do we have to rethink it and be like, do we want them to just be able to play with the group and stop and start with the group? I hope that makes sense. 100%. And that's one of those things where I really wish that we had more music therapists in the schools, because while I would, I would argue that pretty much the majority of music educators would say that they would love to pr- provide these highly individualized lessons and, and accommodations and modifications for every one of our students. The reality is, is we serve hundreds of students. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that often becomes a, a trade-off between, you know, how can we best serve these students and how can I make sure that I'm actually doing my job and getting everything done? And I think that if we had more uh, board-certified music therapists in the schools that, again, have that highly uh, highly systematic approach to, you know, evidence-based music therapy that could really help us in a way, even if it's on like a consultant way, like you mentioned, could really help us create high-quality music education for all of our students. I completely agree. And and you're right. We can't do it all as music educators. Um, it's, it's kind of like a... a <laughs> I don't know, they ask us to try to differentiate and do all these things, which I think music educators are really good at doing. But then I I think that we're asked to do so much, we would best serve those students. You're right. If we were able to have music therapists even come in and consult with the music educators or work with those students during those classes, Um, you know, it's something I would love to keep advocating for because, um, you know, when I went into music therapy, I was like really kind of disappointed that a lot of the school districts didn't have music therapists employed in the districts because it's just as important, in my opinion, as a, of a related service as occupational speech and, and physical therapy because music therapy can be used in conjunction with those therapies to help reach goals for kids that may be resistant to other forms of related services therapies. Like music therapy is great to use with speech. Music therapy is great to use with physical therapy. Music therapists, from my experience, like from undergrad, I remember reading articles in, in medical journals there that a music therapist worked with a physical therapist. The music therapist was doing a very specific type of um, approach in music therapy. It's an evidence-based approach where um, she was using an approach using rhythm um, to kind of help the student kind of find like a a steady beat almost to walk to. So the music therapist was using rhythm, beating a very specific rhythm on a drum to, to kind of help motivate the client to walk the steady beat with the physical therapist. And that was a beautiful intersection of music therapy and physical therapy. And then another example 
as we all know, with the um, the senator, Gabby Giffords um, was the senator who was shot um, at that community event so many years ago. She's a senator from Arizona. And she worked along with um, speech therapists and a music therapist who used this approach, uh, neuro- neurologic music therapy. So there's there's specific practices, almost like a music education with Orphan Kodai. Like there's specific practices within music therapy that music therapists can become accredited in. So neurologic music therapy was used in conjunction with speech therapy um, to use rhythm, pitch, and volume to help with the speech therapist to reach Gabby Gifford's speech goals. So again, I just, I kind of went off on a tangent here, but like, I just think that the intersection uh, between speech and physical therapy and, and occupational therapy and music therapy, like music therapy can help reach all of those goals for our kids. So I, it just, oh, it's one of those things where I'm like, I really wish that music therapists were more in classrooms and in schools and employed in schools because I think it'd just be so beneficial all around. I think things, a lot of things are changing. And I think that just looking at the last 30, 40 years and how far I am, how far IDEA has come, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and how many services and how much students are getting um, from that. Just even thinking back from when my brother was first going to school, um, my mom had to open a whole autistic support classroom for him in our in our elementary school. Um, they wanted to bus him to a district far away, and my mom said, "No, he has the right to have school in his in this home district." So it was good that she knew her rights. But um, yeah. you know, they the school board even asked, "Well, what's autistic mean? What's autism?" And that was in the late '90s. And flash forward to today, there's just so much more awareness. Um, I, I am I am frustrated about it, but I'm positive that I'm I'm thinking that there will be much more incorporation of music therapy and also art therapy um, in you know more school districts around the country. So that's my hope, at least. <laughs> that's my hope as well. And again, I, I I agree that we have that positive trajectory, uh, but it just can be a little frustrating here here and now. Um, hoping that we could do a little bit more. So speaking of music therapy, what do you think people often get wrong about music therapy? So I think kind of what I had hinted towards before, I think that a lot of people assume music therapy can be just somebody singing to a sick person by their bedside, or maybe they they think that um, it can be, it's just music as a therapeutic tool. So I music as a therapeutic tool would be, you know, listening to music to kind of help yourself feel better if you're having a down day or, or, or using it as a coping skill versus music therapies actually clinically using music therapy and, or music in a way to help st- uh, clients reach goals. So I say that word goals a lot because I think it's the most important thing. If you take anything away from this podcast episode, that take away that music therapists have goals and it, that's what separates them from, um, you know, a volunteer musician who goes and plays music for people in a hospital wing, which I said before is wonderful. And I, I don't want to dis miss that. And I don't want to discourage that, but that isn't what music therapy is. Music therapy is, um, evidence-based. It's using science. It's using lots of different research to back up why we do what we do and to help clients reach goals. So I think that's the biggest thing that I would love, uh, people to take away from this. Exactly. I, 
I think we would all agree that music is incredibly, music can be incredibly therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't, I don't think that we should take away from that because that can be so special, but I think we also need to remember that there is a line between music being therapeutic and music being used for therapy and evidence-based and having this systematic approach to music therapy is very different than, like you said, um, a volunteer musician. While both mm-hmm. are great, they serve incredibly different purposes. Yes, Exactly. So Lauren, especially with your unique background in special education and music therapy, what advice do you have for music educators that work with students with exceptional learning needs? I think my biggest advice would be, um, well, there's a few things. One, um, I would always reach out to the the case manager. It's usually their special education teacher, but some states it's a little different. Um, or you could reach out to both the case manager and their special education teacher. Um, so reaching out to the case manager and the special education teacher and really trying to ask them what is the biggest thing you want these students to work on in the classroom, number one. Number two, how can I best help them be successful in the classroom? So number one, if you have a student in there that has um, high behavior needs, it, it can barely stay in the general education classroom for more than a few minutes – your special ed teacher might say, I want them to just stay in class for five minutes. And that's their goal. So kind of taking music out of the equation for some of these kids. And I know that we don't want to do that. But as far as like having, you can use music to help them reach that goal. Maybe play something really engaging towards the beginning of the music class or or, or have kids, um, you know, select the entrance song for the day. Maybe that'll really motivate that kid to stay for the first five minutes. So kind of thinking outside the box with some of their goals. And number two is how can you best um, support that student in the classroom? If that means that, you know, they usually will have a paraeducator or a paraprofessional teacher aide what have you in the classroom with them if they have um, exceptional needs, if they're if they're lower incidence population. So what can I do to be, have them be successful? Do they need lots of movement breaks? Should I have them seated near the door so they can walk right out the door, take a movement break in the hallway and come right back in? Um, those will really set not only your students up for success, but you, because you don't want to be blindsided at the beginning of the year that, you know, Timmy stood up and screamed because, um, he wasn't sitting near the door and he really wanted to take a movement break, but he can't, he can't communicate that to us in the traditional sense. And, um, he didn't have his iPad that day or the paraprofessional maybe was working with another kid with special needs and forgot to mention, Oh yeah, he should sit by the door. You know, um, those things will help set you up for success as well. And then, um, just incorporating them as much as you can into the music classroom. The thing that bothers me the most is when I hear music teachers, you know, putting those kids in the back or grouping them together and having them do their own assignment, put them with the other kids. It's not even, it's beneficial for them to learn, you know, what are appropriate peer behaviors at this age, because that's usually a goal that a lot of low incidence populations are working towards. And then it's helpful for those kids to be around people that are different from them. Like they need that exposure. So that's my passion. That's my pedestal I'll, I'll preach off of. Exactly. And then uh, speaking of the hill that you're willing to die on, yes. I I want everyone to realize that we are, as music educators, as people who create content and deliver content to these students, we have the obligation and the access to these students' IEPs, at least their IEP at a glances. Mm-hmm. Now, hear me out. There is a lot of information in these documents that probably will not be super helpful at all in your classroom. But there are some place things that are, would be incredibly helpful in our classroom. For instance, if a student is having speech goals and we're expecting them to sing as if they didn't have speech goals, mm-hmm. well, 
that might be something worth knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if they have accommodations or modifications, we still have to apply those to our classroom in, in whatever way that might be. And according to the document, we have to, uh, we have that obligation to follow their IEP. Um, and I think that some schools and some districts and some teachers sometimes don't realize that music educators are part of that. Music educators are people that need to have this document. Exactly. And um, going off of that, like those, it's just to kind of piggyback off of that. Those are the most important things to know about. So if you, if you do have time and you have the ability to talk to the special educator, and I'm, I'm telling you with those lower incidence populations, with the kids who may be harder to teach in a and based off of your background, you may think are harder to teach at first and you'll learn that it'll get easier over time. But um, kids with maybe more behaviors, reaching out to those teachers and saying, can I see their SDIs, which is their specially designed instruction, Bryson, what you were just talking about, their accommodations and their modifications. That'll help set you up for success because that's where it's going to say in the IEP, Timmy needs to sit near a door so he can have access to movement breaks. It should say it in there. If it doesn't, then that's a problem because that's a need. So all of his needs um, for his accommodations and modifications are going to be in that section. Um, Also, you'll be able to see speech goals there. Um, You might want to be able to access the goals and objectives, which are important, but most of those for our kids are – more academic based. So I, I would say the most other important part of the IEP is if those kids do have behaviors, seeing their their behavior plan. So there's always a behavior plan for students that have severe behaviors as well in their IEP. So you'll know, okay, when so-and-so, like let's say Timmy again, when Timmy screams and has an outburst, he's looking, say he's looking for attention, even though this is a different example. Cause um, in my other example, it wouldn't, he was just frustrated. But say t- this new Timmy, he screams for attention. Um, knowing that beforehand so that you don't call attention to that and you don't say, Timmy, don't do that. Sit back down. You need to get ready back to class. Like being able to look to the paraeducator and say, all right, take him out. So he just leaves and he doesn't get that attention. That's going to be critical for your, um, you know, your music classroom management as well. So, um, I kind of went on a tangent there off of what you said, but I just agree with you so wholeheartedly that that's so important to know. And we need to know it. We're a part of the IEP team and it's a legal document. We need to be aware of it. Exactly. So Lauren, I have loved being able to chat with you about music therapy and music education and how they are different and the same and kind of how we can both help each other. Um, So where can we find some more information on music therapy, especially how music therapy intersects with music education? Oh, this is wonderful. So, um, some of the some of the points I made today, I actually had referenced from an article I found on the American Music Therapy Association website. It's also called AMTA. Their website is a wonderful resource if you're more interested in music therapy. Um, literally, you can just Google music therapy and music education, and even if you put AMTA at the end of that Google there'll be so many articles that pop up. And not only do they pop up to give you a little bit more information, they have their references. So for instance, this article that I was looking at today before I came on here, um, a reference that AMTA um, talks about um, is Music and Special Education. It's a book written by Mary S. Adamek and Alice. I love that book. Yes. Alice and Darwo. So they, Darwo, sorry. Alice and Darwo. And they, um, they reference that book to, when they're talking about the intersections of music therapy and special education. Um, another one they reference is models of music therapy intervention in school settings. So um, they'll have these articles on their website, and then they'll have a list of references at the end where if you want more information or want to explore things further, 
you can go right there. I, I love AMTA. Um, I don't know if a lot of us have access to journals, but um, there's a there's so so many wonderful journals on music therapy as well that you can find lists of on AMTA. I know that. Um, I took that for granted in my undergrad and, and graduate degrees, having access to those online um, educational journals and, and what have you, because, you know, you have to pay for them when you're not in school unless you have a membership. <laughs> but those are wonderful if you're more interested in the science-based approaches to some of the ex- examples that I referenced. So some of the examples that I referenced in the podcast um, are from journals, and you can see some of those journals on AMTA's website as well. And if you're more interested in learning a little bit about the science behind how music therapists can back up their findings. You can find that there. Um, I don't think a lot of them are free, but maybe there are a few. But yeah, it's really interesting. If you ever have the time or ability to look up some of the music therapy journals, I highly recommend um, looking into some of them. It's incredible what music can do to the brain, Uh, literally rewiring the brain to help individuals talk after traumatic brain injuries, um, helping individuals with Alzheimer's recollect memories that are so precious to them and their loved ones. Um, it's really wonderful. Exactly. I love how you were talking about, you know, taking it for granted the access to these publications. Mm-hmm. So I, I started my master's degree um, it, and I'm technically on a leave of absence since they didn't really have the coursework this summer because of COVID. So oh, yeah. I, I lost all my access to these these journals and I, I'm really sad because I would literally just like log in and like read uh, an article on like music therapy or music education. Um, and now it's like, here, subscribe. And I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so expensive, but you're right. Hopefully, um, hopefully the programs can resume again and you'll have access again. Oh, for sure. So Lauren, more specifically, where can we find some more of you? So um, I am on social media. I'm on Instagram. I have like a teacher slash mom slash music page that's called uh, Making Special Moments Teaching. It's all one word together. Um, I also write for That Music Teacher in their blog section. So you can find some of my articles that I've written there. I have two up right now, and I think I'm going to be submitting a third one soon, right? So Yes, I love it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I love that. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be a part of the team. It's, it's fun. Like it doesn't feel like work writing, writing these articles. So yeah. So that's kind of, um, where you can find me for right now. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can don't, don't be a stranger. Reach out say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. I love like answering DMS when I can, I'm a little busy with the baby right now and I'm going to be starting a new job soon. So <laughs> I'll try to get to people when I can, but I, I do enjoy that part of um, social media, connecting with others. All right, Lauren. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I have loved being able to talk with you a little bit and learn about music therapy and more specifically how you use it and how you kind of view it and the research behind it. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Bye-bye. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.